You can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. For one British jockey, Victoria Smith, horses were the conduit from a past to a very different and potentially more fulfilling future. We'll detail her extraordinary story on a memorable edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They're all set. And they're off. As they move to the top of the straight, it's a hit-moving finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Jockeys don't get enough credit for their bravery. Imagine sitting on top of your car as it speeds down the road at 40 miles an hour, just inches away from another person doing the same thing. And that other guy, and maybe 12 or 13 more, is trying to make sure you don't get past him. Oh, and all you have to protect yourself, basically, is a helmet. Now, it's tough to perform well, as a jockey or anywhere else, when your mind is clear. At least then you can freely let yourself go and do what you've trained to do. But picture trying to do what we just said when your mind is not really settled, when you carry this burden, this thing, wherever you go. For 37 years, British jockey Vince Smith carried such a burden. He won 250 races and carved out a respectable life. But something just wasn't quite right. Finally, last year, already over 50 years old, Vince Smith became Victoria Smith. And amazingly, Victoria Smith returned to competition this spring in a charity race at Warwick at age 52. And now that things have settled down a bit after that whirlwind period, Victoria Smith has had some time to reflect on all that's happened. And we are pleased to welcome jockey Victoria Smith here to Win the Gate. So teach us all a little bit about how a decision like this comes about. When did you start to feel unhappy being who you were? Okay, so I'll go back to the start of my childhood. I always knew I was slightly different in the fact that I wanted to be with the girls. I felt that I wanted to dress as a, a girl but obviously I was born in a male body and I had to grow up being being a boy and then in them days you had nobody to talk to like unlike today you know there's a big thing going about today now in this country I don't know if it's the same in the states with transgender children you know they're able to express themselves as youngsters and they can then possibly get put on medication at a very early age you know and get looked after. Whereas in in my day and everybody else's day previously, nobody wanted to talk about it. There was nobody to talk to. Medication? What do you mean medication? Uh, well, you know, transgender children now, they can be medicated to stop their uh, puberty, you know, and get on estrogen and put on um, testosterone blockers at a very early age. If the health authorities feel that yes they accept that this 
child was born in the wrong body and the child expresses that, then with the acceptance of the parents as well, they can be put on testosterone blockers at a very early age, which helps massively if that is definite for that that child, you know? Oh, interesting. I'd never heard of such a thing. Yeah, no, it's just enormous. You know, what you've got to think is, you know, the likes of me at my age, you know, I've I've been, you know, had more testosterone, obviously, in my body than estrogen, and now I've had to cut my testosterone down, so you get uh, testosterone blockers, you get medicated with more estrogen to make your body more feminine, you know? Well, what was it like trying to function in the macho world of professional sports, speaking of lots of testosterone? So, obviously, I went through my teens, and, you know, I, I was brought up in London quite a, you know, any city is tough. So I, I had to sort of just get on with my life, and I, I had nobody to help me with even think about becoming feminine. So I just had to get on myself and try and suppress everything. And I was fortunate enough that I got a love for horse racing. So then I, as a teenager, applied for a job up in Newmarket, where I am now, got into horse racing. And and one thing I've always had in my life, I've always, which has probably helped massively as well, I've always been attracted to females anyway. So uh, I had some great relationships. So combined with my relationships and with becoming a jockey, so I, was a, I started off as an apprentice jockey and I rode, I think my first winner was my fourth ride. And I, I, I loved every part of being a jockey, the traveling, which we do a lot in this country compared to US jockeys. You're based somewhere for six to eight weeks and then you move on. Here, we travel all over the country every day, you know. But I, I, I enjoyed that, the camaraderie of the weighing room. And then I, I was fortunate enough as well to be able to mix my riding career with jump racing as well. So I, I, I was at a weight where I could get my weight down for the flat and I could ride heavier at steeplechasing, you know. So, yeah, I, I did have to completely try and suppress all the thoughts of being a, a female. How did you cope with that? Um, I think I'm mentally strong, so I didn't find it so hard. When relationships broke down, then it did come back to me a hell of a lot. But, you know, you you just have to get on with life. and, And then, obviously, I was in a professional sport and... Nobody within racing or, or, or I didn't know of anybody in sports world that, that was out there that had transitioned or even... To be honest, it wasn't until my late 30s that I managed to look up when the internet came around and, and you was able to look at stuff personally yourself and read up about people transitioning, you know? So, yeah, probably later in, in my career that I was able to educate myself a bit more about it and learn a lot more about myself. Then when I packed up riding, I trained in Newmarket for eight years. Uh, I had about 100 winners in eight seasons. And again, you you know, you're in the limelight. So I felt it wasn't something, unless I totally got out of racing, that I could do within the sport. Um, Plus, I, I had some great relationships through my life, I've had four seven-year relationships with 
separate partners. And even today, they all speak to me today and I go out with them. You know, they're obviously married now or other partners, but they, they're all very, very accepting in, in their ways. So I've been very lucky on that side. And so when my last relationship broke down, which is about five, six years ago now, I started to think about transitioning. I got in touch with people. I spoke to people. I went out and spoke to people that were in transitioning period. And then in 2016, I said to myself every day, if I don't do this, will I regret it? And every day I said, I don't regret anything I've done in my life, whether it be relationship, whether it be work or riding. But if I went to my grave tomorrow, I would regret not doing this. And I said that for every day for a year. And then that year I, I got on hormones and I've been now living full time as a female for a, a year now. Well, it's one thing to seriously and realistically think about this, but then you have to commit to doing it. I mean, how difficult was it to really commit and say, I'm actually going to do this? Right. So obviously, you've got to tell people what you're planning to do. And that was as fearsome as having my first ever ride over jumps. I was totally, totally... So obviously, uh, I, I had a friend or, or a best friend now who I was actually dating, and I just thought I can tell this person, which I did. And then once I'd told one person, I just want to get it out and tell everybody. I told my parents, and my parents were very, very accepting. My mother, I, I always knew my mother would be fine because she, I, I don't know, she said she never knew anything at all, but. She's always been a mothering mother to me more than my brother. And, you know, she's really looked after me all my life, you know. So I knew she wouldn't be a problem. And then a couple of days later, I told my father and I didn't have a clue how he would be because he's quite Victorian in his ways. And he just turned around and he said, look, if that's going to make you a happier person in life, I don't have a problem. And he turned to my mother and he said, you always wanted a daughter, didn't you? <laughs> Did you have any inspirations to doing this? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, being in the racing world and professional sports world, I knew there was going to be a lot of publicity come, whether it be good or bad out of this. I knew people were going to be wanting to write stories and obviously, Caitlyn Jenner's transitioning, I mean, I hate to think what had gone through her mind all her life, because in my career, I put myself as in, whether it be American football or soccer over here, you've got your premiership clubs and you've got your first division, second division teams or whatever. And I put myself in sort of the first and second division teams because I'm not a a Frankie Dittori or a Cashas Moosin or Gary Moore or whatever, you know, or Lester Piggott for that. You know, I, I was always a workman like jockeys. There are very few Lester Piggotts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for her to have been a gold medalist and in America in such a big country, that was must have been an enormous decision to uh do what she done and transition, you know, because, you know, she was 
put up there on a pedestal as a guy. So, it, you know, it must have been a massive decision for her. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, how Victoria Smith has settled into her new life and her new identity. Don't go away. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. We're talking here with jockey Victoria Smith, who transitioned from life as Vince Smith just about a year ago. Now, how did it feel literally waking up one day with a completely different body and identity? So, you know, once I got it out to all my friends, family, what I was doing, and then just be able to get on with my life as I always wanted to, I've never been held in captivity, but it felt like I was just been released from captivity, you know. When I was living as a guy, I was always very reserved in conversation. I'd wait to be spoken to. I wasn't as confident coming forward. Yeah, I, I, when I, there was parties on or whatever, until I had bottle of whiskey or something, then I was a little <laughs> bit livelier. <laughs> right. Um, like everybody. But no, uh, seriously, yeah, now I, I just feel so much more confident. I can go and speak to anybody. People now who haven't bumped into me yet, uh, but knew me from previous, I just go up and say hi and start chatting to them. And if they want to chat to me, I carry on. And, and I just say to them, look, because you always get sometimes they say, do you mind? And you know what's coming. Do you mind if, if I ask you? And I just say, look, I'll stop you there. You can ask me anything you want. And they say, really? And I say, yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's sexual, whether it's about how it came about, when did I first feel the way I am? Just just ask me. I said, I can answer it because I've been there for the last 50 years. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I've heard stories of yeah. transgender people who, even after going through the surgery, feel a sense of shame or at least uneasiness in discussing that story. And I mean, you're sharing your story with us, and we're very grateful that you would do that. But how is it that you were able to be so comfortable in your own new skin? Uh, obviously, I've had a lot of help with family, friends, and the racing community. The racing community have been unbelievable. And even the media over here, they've been great. One of the national newspapers here, they approached me with another paper. And they've done a few stories on transgenders. And I looked at their stories. Anyway, so I went with a paper called The Daily Mirror. And they were very sensitive how they done my story. they done it very well listen to Morris as I have told them. That's how they wrote it. The same with the television companies here. They've been very sensitive. But because I'm in the racing world as well, not so many of the national television companies know that much about racing and that much about transitioning. So I could tell them comfortably without them asking silly questions because they just didn't know you know and, and I feel that you're better off letting the public know exactly how it is and that you're not a weird person you know you are goodness no you're the same person that you was before you're you know but now you're a happier person in the body that you want always wanted to be in you know and 
Yeah, I, I've had a massive help with the racing community. They've been very, very supportive. I actually went to a race course. I bumped into a few people that I haven't seen for a long time. And they just come up, give me a big hug and just said, we're so proud of you, you know, which is great. It, it just gives you more confidence. So it's a lot harder. I, although I thought it was going to be tough, it's a lot harder for people in smaller communities, I think, because they haven't got as many people to support them. But all I can say to anybody is, is you're not going to get understood unless you speak to people and People aren't going to come and speak to you because they have that fear factor as well. So, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fear factor from both sides. Now, I know you said the racing community has been very supportive, but nonetheless, what was it like training for that charity race back in May and being in that racing milieu again and then actually racing in it as a female? Yeah, no, it, was, it wasn't a decision that I had much time to think about because we have another race later in the year that I was trying to uh, get accepted for, but it was already full. And then somebody rang in and said that there was a possibility that I could ride in this charity race at Warwick, which was May. So it only gave me a few months to get fit again. And I thought over it for a week and I thought, no, I'm going to do this. And, you know, I I had a trainer who was willing to support me with a course. And I just got on and I rode out for a few trainers again. I mean, I hadn't sat on a horse for three, four years. Although I've kept myself fairly fit, I run every day, obviously just try and keep my figure down. And the racing school that we have in Newmarket were very good and allowed me to go up there and work out on the equisizer. And I got myself probably 80% fit enough to ride. Obviously, I wasn't riding against professionals, so I didn't need to be totally, totally fit. But I've never been one to have nerves at all. I've always, riding-wise, I've I've always never worried about it. But setting foot on a race course again on on a horse for so long, it was... I didn't think you could ever get that buzz back again, and it was totally amazing. And I felt great in the race. And even pulling up, my legs were as good as or even better than what they would have been in my last ride as a professional um, 18 years ago. Now, you know, Mike Smith, the American jockey, was 52 when he won the American Triple Crown this year aboard Justify. I know you're 52. Gary Stevens just retired, I believe, at 55 because of a... I just read that. Yeah, I just read that. So are we going to see you back in the saddle? Um, I'm hoping to ride in the race that I was talking about at Doncaster, which is is a charity race, but it's for ex-professional jockeys. So it will be very competitive and it's televised on national television here. And it's a a day dedicated to the Stable Ads Welfare and the Injured Jockeys Front. So I'm hoping to uh, be able to perform in that new year, yeah. What do you want people to know about folks who have been through what you have? I think it's just that, obviously, until they meet uh, somebody who's transitioned, it's very tough for them. But just treat them as a normal person. You know, in every walk of life, you're going to get good people, you're going to get bad people, you're going to get okay people, you're going to get confident people, you know. And it's no different 
with a, tra- a transgender, you know, somebody who's transitioned, if they were a nice person and a good person before, they'll be an even better person. If they were a bit of an angry person before, they will not be so angry, you know, because they've been angry because they haven't been able to be the person they've, they've always wanted to be, you know, or they've got mixed up in alcohol or drugs purely to suppress their minds, you know. So most transgenders, they'll be the nicest people you could ever meet. And don't be afraid of anybody, you know. They're normal people, most of them, you know. And we wish you the absolute best of success as you move forward now in this hopefully happier life. And I can't wait to watch the race at Doncaster next year. Continued success, Victoria. Thank you so much for a few minutes here. You're very welcome, Barry. Very welcome. Anytime. Our thanks once again to Victoria Smith. Jerry Bazo was the eldest trainer ever to win a race two years ago when he was 96 years old. I visited him soon afterward at his barn at Gulfstream Park West and about his life as an engineer, he told. Across town one year earlier, I stopped in at Gulfstream while producing a story for an unrelated game to chat with Alan Jerkins on the 40th anniversary of his induction into the Racing Hall of Fame. He reminisced about seeing Man of War when he was young and, of course, about beating Secretariat. His commentary, riveting. I could have spent all day. But you, the listener, never heard one bit. Because Mr. Bazo's interview recorded at too low a level. And with Jerkins, I never turned the microphone on. Jerry Bazo just passed away. Jerkins three years ago. So the chance to try again with them is gone. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time. 